So today we're talking about buying property and for many people it's been a very smooth process and for other buyers it's been a painful process. But this morning I'm really pleased to be joined by Michael Crowley who's a solicitor with Patrick F. O'Reilly who's been a solicitor I've recommended to people and found to be extremely personable and efficient and responds to phone calls and emails which I love. And Michael, I want to talk today about what happens when a property gets conveyed from person A to person B? Typically, how long does it take? Uh, what's the quickest you've ever seen it done? What's the longest you've seen it done? Uh, what are the issues in your experience that have really slowed down a property purchase or for you a property sale or either? And typically, what are the costs involved? And then also, given that a lot of our listeners are from abroad, what are the additional things to consider if you're buying a property in Ireland while being based abroad? So can I start by just explaining at what point the solicitor enters the equation? I'm going out buying a property for someone. We've gone sale agreed with a, an estate agent and we've agreed our buying price. Let's say we're buying a property for 500000 The estate agent has said, yes, that's fine. The vendor would accept that price and the estate agent will ask my buyer for a 3% booking deposit, which is fully refundable. And at that point, the estate agent says, and who is acting for you, Mr. Buyer? And I provide details of you, Michael, if you're the solicitor acting. The estate agent then writes out to both the solicitor acting for the vendor of the property and you as the solicitor acting for the buyer of the property with details of the property and the amount it's going to be bought for. And then... There follows a wait of what can be months or There, there begins the domestic yeah. uh, process that is conveyance. And uh, thanks for having me to speak, Brefney, first of all, and, and for the kind words. Um, you're quite right, bang on. Before you have your booking deposit down, you should have uh, figured out who your solicitor is. Uh, I know I, I, I deal with a number of new developments for builders, and it's often the case that the buyer hasn't gone and actually found their solicitor. And that, and that could be the first delay. You spoke about the letter from the agent with the price. Uh, we call that the sales advice note or the SAN, as you'd be used mm-hmm. to hearing in, in the business. Um, the sales advice note is, is the thing that happens immediately after you put that booking deposit down and there you can't issue that letter without a purchasing solicitor so really and truly purchasers should start thinking at the same time they start looking for a property well who are we going to use are we going to use dad's solicitor are we going to use our old solicitor are we going to use our friend john and there can be various factors uh, price is often a factor location can be a factor or on location, is it relevant? Like, let's just say you're from Cork and you're buying in Dublin, and the family solicitor is in Cork. Does it make any difference whether they're in Cork if you're buying in Dublin? It, it can make it easier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose if they're in Cork and you're buying in Dublin, um, it depends where you're, where you are so you're, physically. So, what I would say is, it can make it, the process easier for you if you can pop into your solicitor. Okay. Um, it doesn't have to be where the property is; far mm-hmm. from it. Um, and we can do everything these days with, 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 with DHL and email, but there are original signatures mm-hmm. and, and documents which you need to be signed in the presence of your solicitor mm-hmm. or a solicitor. So if you are living in Ireland and buying in Ireland, to me it makes sense to have 
either access to your solicitor or to be able to drop into them in, in some shape or form. Okay, so the solicitor being close to you rather than the property. Correct, the absolutely. There's, there's no need for the solicitor to be geographically close to the property. In fact, solicitors rarely, if ever, see the property physically. Okay. Um, as I say, price, location, and maybe the method or how the, the person works you might want a solicitor who can facilitate you after 6 o'clock in the evening or before 8 o'clock in the morning. Not all will. And so they're the things that you'll want to check out early on. In mm-hmm. fact, there's no point in engaging a solicitor where you know you can't get out of work you know, before 6 and mm-hmm. find that your particular solicitor is not in a position to facilitate you. So mm-hmm. there, there are other factors other than price, I guess. Um, hopefully you've selected a solicitor. It's always good to go with someone who's been recommended to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing like a recommendation. Of course, if you're really stuck and Google isn't your friend, you can ring the Law Society and, and they can give you a list of solicitors in, in your area, for example. Mm. So you, you choose your solicitor, you go on, you put on the book and deposit, you give that detail to the, 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 the agent of the vendor mm-hmm. and the agent of the vendor issues the sales advice note. So I, I, I will and hopefully get a letter in today from any of the agents saying, your client, John and Mary Smith, have agreed to purchase the above property for the price of X, and the vendor's solicitor is Mr. Whoever. Mm-hmm. Generally, what I will do at that point is I will send a copy of that sales advice note to the purchaser, to my client, and I'll ask them to confirm that the details of that are correct from their point of view. So, for example, I wasn't involved in the negotiation of the price. I don't know what the agreed price is. I want to make sure it's correct. Mm-hmm. There may be a list of contents or other details, such as a closing date. And again, I won't have been involved in the negotiation. Mm-hmm. So, well, I might send you a copy also, Brefley, mm-hmm. because you, you would have been involved. Um, and I look for confirmation. And what I'll also do simultaneously is I'll probably send a letter to the solicitor for the vendor saying, you know, hello, Mr. Vendor Solicitor. Uh, or Mrs. Vendor's Lister, I'm active for the purchaser. Can you please let me have contracts and copy title? Just on that, you mentioned on the sales advice notice there might be a closing date. Indeed. Uh, and I know when I was a selling estate agent, mm-hmm. I used to put in a closing date, and I used to generally make it three months yeah. from the date of the letter. In your experience, is that typical? I think your colleagues are a bit more ambitious these right. days. Right, okay, okay, good. They put so, eight weeks, six so weeks. I, I mean, actually, sorry, to be honest with you, the norm is, I, I would see, anywhere between four to eight. Four to eight. It's, I mean, one thing I'll say, and I say this to your listeners from the outset, and this is one of the biggest frustrations with, with property transactions in Ireland and it applies from the smallest department to the biggest office block. A closing date is aspirational. Yeah. It's very unlike other systems in the jurisdiction. It's it's a, it's an aim. It's a point that we're all aiming to. It, it rarely, if ever, can be set in stone. And, that, and I'll explain maybe why mm-hmm. as we go on. So here starts the second delay, potential delay. Yeah. We are now de- dependent on the vendors and their solicitor. Um, as to whether or not they're prepared. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by prepared is, is that contract and copy title documents? And what title documents are, to explain to your listeners, there are documents to prove that the vendor has the ownership of the property, mm-hmm. the right to sell. It may also reveal any burdens which might affect the property, such as mortgages or rights of way, but lots of planning documentation. Mm-hmm. So is there, if it's a property constructed since uh, October 1964, um, whether the or sorry, uh, yep, since '64, whether planning permission was obtained and, mm-hmm. and was the property uh, constructed in accordance with that planning permission. Where might those documents be? Well, if the vendors 
or their solicitor or in conjunction with the other have not got their house in order. Mm. They can be sitting at home. They could be sitting in a bank if there's an existing mortgage. They could be with another solicitor if they've changed. And so there's potential delay of, of, mm. of weeks there. Mm. Uh, and then the solicitor has to sit down if they weren't the solicitor who acted maybe in the original purchase and they might have to read that title, prepare that contract and that in itself can take days mm-hmm. or weeks, depending if there's input needed from the vendors themselves. Like, for example, a solicitor might have acted in the purchase of the property, mm-hmm. might know the title, as they would say, but might find that the vendors have built a two-story extension since then and have they got the planning documentation together. So I suppose what I'm getting across to the listeners is I always say to, to, to my clients when they're purchasing, look, we can do everything we can, but we can't put the pen in the other person's hand. Yeah. So I suppose that's the, the second potential delay. Um, and Michael, just on that, I say the title deeds are with the vendor. That's handy. They might be with the vendor's solicitor in the vendor's attic or whatever. Sure. But say they're with the vendor's bank. Yes. And that has seems to be quite cause quite some delay. If you can imagine, uh, and I won't name any particular bank, so yeah. I'm not to be picking on them, but yeah. if you can imagine any of the banks have several thousand, tens mm. of thousands of mortgages, which mm. means theoretically they should have tens of thousands sets of title deeds, mm. and you're just one. Mm. And you might be, your mortgage might have been in 1999, and it's off in some vault somewhere, or maybe incorrectly on some shelf somewhere. So, you know, the physical act of retrieving, finding, mm. listing, Arranging for their dispatch mm-hmm. to a solicitor or a, a vendor can take you know several days, several weeks, mm. depending on the bank. Weeks definitely. Weeks I definitely mean, in mm. some situations. Mm. Um, one thing that I try and encourage, and certainly we, as a firm we, we're trying to push ourselves, is a bit of early engagement yeah. um, with everyone and a bit of responsibility. I mean, listen, the, the delay and fault can lie with ourselves. We're all human. But I think with early engagement of everybody in the process, you can hopefully maybe head off some of those delays. Mm. So if you're selling, you, you same as I was advising your listeners, if they're buying, try and get a solicitor in advance of, mm-hmm. of, of going sale agreed. If you're selling, you should contact your solicitor early on. Where are the deeds? Let's get the ball rolling. Remember, if you're selling, uh, uh, not as relevant to your listeners, but a little tidbit, you need to sign an original authority. A, a, a one pager with an original signature saying, Dear bank, please give my solicitor those deeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in Australia and you don't let your solicitor know until you've gone sale agreed, the solicitor has to draft up an authority, email it to you, you've got a DHL it back because the bank won't act on a copy mm-hmm. and you've got to send that original authority to the bank. So okay. another example of the delay. But, but let's assume there's been a bit of a, a early engagement okay. and we've gotten our deeds up and the day the sales advice, no, the, the, you know, the next day the, the vendor solicitor sends out the contract. Great. So what does the purchasing solicitor do? What's mm-hmm. this magical, mystical, conveyancing process? Well, in basic terms, what your solicitor does is, as a purchasing solicitor, he or she reads the title to make sure that when you hand over your money, you get what's known as good marketable title. Mm-hmm. That you have good legal ownership. That mm-hmm. there's no question of ownership over your property. So that the vendor has that good marketable title to pass on to you. It's a recognized conveyancing term, a standard that's recognized by the Banking Federation and the, and, and the Law Society. Mm. And that, in a nutshell, is the most, single most important job a purchasing solicitor must do. There is no point in handing over €700,000 and finding the vendors not able to give you good marketable title. You yeah. won't be able to bank it, yeah. you won't be able to sell it on in the future. Mm-hmm. That can be a, a very quick 
are a very long process. Mm. We have, unfortunately, at the moment, two state-controlled and state-run registration systems in Ireland. And I could speak a whole podcast about them. <laughs> I'll try and keep them simple. Very simply, the modern one, it's a four-page document, very quickly read, very easily ascertainable who owns the property and are there any burdens or mortgages, etc. Okay. And that's called? The Land Registry. Mm. It's super modern, digitalized boundaries, really, really great service, mm-hmm. and an accredited property registration authority who maintain it. We have an ancillary, older system known as the registry deeds, and it's probably what your, your listeners will be familiar with and seen in the movies or TV shows, a big stack of old documents chasing, ch- uh, following the chain of ownership since day dot or day one. Mm. And the problem with that is, if you can imagine, if it's a property in Dublin, it could have deeds going back to the 1800s or 1700s, as in Temple Bar, which was where we acted uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. You're tracing ownership or tra- tracing ownership from from the 1700s. It can Great. take hours or days. I mean, you're looking at sometimes vellum deeds. The point for your listeners is this: you won't, you possibly won't know going in which of these two you're going to be. Yeah. And people might often say, well, why is it taking so long? It's taking so long, potentially because this listener's reading this big stack of documents. It's having trouble. Remember that you're looking at documents written by hand. There can be mistakes. And you have to make a call. If there's an error or you know a mistake in the face of a deed, it doesn't amount to being fatal to that good marketable title. That, in what we call investigation of title, mm-hmm. can often raise queries, which we call pre-contract inquiries. They're very simply a letter of questions from your purchasing solicitor to the vendor solicitor. Um, and similarly to that, and, and uh, together with, uh, and particularly as, as you deal with more modern property, mm-hmm. we now have planning permission. We have building regulations, which mm-hmm. is a very, very hot topic. Mm-hmm. If you take an apartment you will get not only evidence of the title and you're hoping for a, a one a four-page folio, you will also get probably a 60-page lease, which is the rules that govern your ownership of that apartment. And because manage- when you buy an apartment, you're buying a leasehold. Exactly. And, and, and while people often worry, oh, I don't own the apartment, it's not quite that it equates to that. I mean, the leases can be for 500 years and 900 years. But they're leases because the, the management company and the, the developer want to maintain a certain level of control. I always say to people with an apartment, you're buying a box of air. Yeah. That's what you're buying. You only own the interface of those walls. You can't go knocking load-bearing walls down. You're buying that box of air. And obviously, the management companies are responsible for what I call the superstructure. Yeah. So there needs to be rules in place. It's not like buying a single plot of ground where you just transfer the plot. Yeah. But without, I suppose, going into too much detail, yeah. there will, of course, be architects' opinions and compliance and planning permission and all the building regulations that go with apartments, such as fire safety, stuff like that. And that in itself can take another hours of, of, mm-hmm. of reading. You may have management company due diligence. If you're buying a house in a managed estate or an apartment in a managed estate, you'd want to check that there's a management company in existence, it's properly incorporated, etc. So, and Michael, can I just ask you, let's, course, let's say you're buying an apartment in a certain block and then a few months later you're buying another apartment in the same block. Are there any kind of speed speeding ups that happen there where you've gone through it all already with the management company to, to be honest with you there isn't no okay um with the planning stuff yes you'll have seen the planning permission before but you want to make sure that the 
corresponding documentation, such as the architect's opinion, is correct. I mean, to give you an example, I just recently reviewed a title where the architect's opinion on compliance refers to number one South Great Jordan Street, to use our address here, instead of number two. Mm -hmm. Now, if I made an assumption, well, it was fine on the previous apartment, I could miss that. Yeah. So the risk... Is, 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 yeah. is not worth it. You mm. must reread everything again. For example, I give you a really good example of why you would want to be careful. You couldn't just assume. Let's just say, you, well, I bought an apartment in this development last month or two months ago, and the management company was in good order. I won't bother checking again. Since then, there may have been a major event, such as a flood, mm-hmm. a discovery of a crack or subsidence, a pyrite or some mm-hmm. awful thing that the management is now aware, oh, we're going to have a huge claim on our, on our funds, mm-hmm. on what's called a sinking fund, which is a, a pot of money management company, a rainy day fund for some major repair. Mm-hmm. I, I always recall a, a roof being blown off an apartment mm-hmm. block mm-hmm. In, in 2006. Mm-hmm. And that has the potential to dramatically increase the service charge, mm-hmm. which is the owner's contribution to the running of an estate. Mm-hmm. If you imagine if a roof blows off in the morning, off a block of 20 apartments, the cost of that roof, mm. forget about insurance for a minute, will born equally between the 20 apartments. Mm. Now, if it's 200,000, that's 10 grand each. Mm. You might decide as a purchaser, you know what, I'll find another apartment. Mm-hmm. As much. So it's not worth the risk you okay. must reread. And that, to explain that, there's an over and back, and again, again we could talk all day about what the types of queries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, one thing we spoke about before we, we, we started recording was boundaries. I, I would always encourage clients in tandem with their condition survey, if possible, they should carry out a boundary survey. Their condition survey being the surveyor Structure. that you... Uh, Employ. Not everyone does employ a surveyor, but I'd always recommend you employ a Absolutely. surveyor to go in. So that was interesting, Michael, your point about having the surveyor, in addition to looking at the condition, the fabric of the building itself, but also look at the boundaries of the land to see does the garden correspond, in, in real life, correspond to the boundaries Absolutely. on the map and vice versa. There are certain properties which it's probably easier to tell that there is not an issue. So, mm-hmm. for example, in your modern estate, you can probably take a good guess as a purchaser mm-hmm. yourself, if you so wish, looking at a map saying, that folio, it's very squared. All the units around are the same squared. But mm-hmm. to give you maybe another example, I've dealt with numerous properties in Dublin. I mean, I'm thinking of Kalini or Dawkey or Holt, places, and I'm not picking them for their value, mm. but more for their, their geographical layout, mm. where you might have over years, ditches move, boundaries move, mm-hmm. people get maybe take a little bit into a field. Yeah. They can't. I mean, if you're putting a big stock in a back garden backing onto a river, for example, or the coast indeed, mm. and you find that you don't own that after you buy, you are not going to be happy. No. So a boundary survey, it, 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 to, in, for my book, is, is very relevant, not so much in an apartment. Mm-hmm. You're not going to yeah. worry about the maps mm-hmm. in an apartment. Uh, or, as I say, maybe some properties. Mm. Of course, as you say, it's, it's, it's vital, really, that a purchaser carries out a structural survey. Mm. I mean, really and truly, for me, for a couple of hundred euro, if I'm paying several hundred thousand, I want to know the thing will still be standing next year. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's the nature of the beast, particularly in recent times, that there have been building issues, such as pyrite, mm-hmm. such as radon, different things like that, that won't be thrown up in, in legal due diligence. And purchasers must remember the system in Ireland, at the end of the day, outside of new homes, is buyer beware. Yeah. 
the solicitor will continue on raising those queries. Like, for example, you take my example of the incorrectly named opinion. Yeah. I discovered that on a property where, where we were selling, which I didn't buy, and we were asked by the purchasing solicitor, quite rightly, well, what are you going to do about this? It says yeah. the wrong number, and we had to go and contact the original architect, right. and, and, and who was luckily still, still alive, yeah. and a very helpful gentleman. I, I probably won't name him because he mightn't appreciate me, but a very, very good guy, and he, he kindly did a replacement. And we're now able to give the purchaser the, the correct number of document so that when they go to sell, they won't have the same issue. And that's yeah. the point of pre-contract inquiries. Okay. You will hopefully hit a point where your solicitor would say, I am now happy. The, and Michael, the, in the meanwhile, while you're back and forth, sure. I'm Mary and I've just bought this. It's the 1st of January and I've gone sale agreed and Michael's my solicitor and he's working for me. It's the 1st of January and Michael's doing mysterious things. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they are, but I know it's taking a while. Uh, How often do you communicate with your buyers? So, uh, great question for me, briefly, because we have a particular way of doing things and and certainly um, it's certainly my way and, 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 and everyone that works with me, it's our way of doing things. We like to copy the client if possible, on every piece of correspondence. And what I mean by that is, if I, there will a certain amount of letters arrive in here today, and we, we you know, they're, they're digitally scanned, and so it's a question, question of, for us, we just email the client and say, well, we've received a letter from the system or the purchaser, or the vendor, as the case may be, and where we might require instructions, we might say, you might please let us have your instructions in relation to the following mm-hmm. points. So, I'll give you an example from a purchaser point of view. Uh, we may have asked... Uh, quite rightly if you're borrowing to make those contracts subject to you getting your loan check mm-hmm. and the vendor solicitor may have asked in return quite rightly well can you confirm that you've received a loan offer mm-hmm. and if I'm not aware I might email my client and say what's the story with the loan offer mm-hmm. the vendor solicitor wants to know so we, we try to the biggest complaint I hear about solicitors is I don't know what's going on. Yep. I cannot get him or her on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this mystery, this mystic thing that we're speaking of. Yep. So we try and get around that by copying the correspondence to the client. I would find that uh, nine times out of ten that works very well. There's maybe one client who maybe you wish I didn't send the letter to because okay. it, it maybe panics them unnecessarily. Right. Right. But it does take away the mystery. Yep. You at least know something is happening. We endeavour to respond to, to letters and pre-contract inquiries you know, within 24 hours, 24 to 48, if we can. The only reason why we might not be able to is if we require further investigation or input from either the vendor or the purchaser. Yeah. So in the perfect world, we get a letter in today and we'll respond uh, today or tomorrow to that letter if we can. Yeah. And again, we'll copy the response to the client. So yeah. you know a letter came in to Michael on Monday he asked me a question Monday, I got back to him Tuesday and I saw a letter go out Tuesday afternoon yeah. or Wednesday morning as the case may be, depending on the situation. And that does alleviate, it, I suppose, look, it makes it, it makes the process more transparent. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it personally. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the client should know what's going on. I think maybe some solicitors would look at it as maybe a waste of time. Yeah. You know, we're doing our job, I'm, I'm qualified to do it, just let me at it and copying you is slowing the process down. And, and there is a, a rationale to that. And I suppose that's reflective in, 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 in pricing and, and certain other things. If you want, I suppose, to be able to pick up the phone and get an update and get copies of the letter, you know, that's going to take the solicitor a bit more time and you might have to mm-hmm. pay for that. Um, 
But that system okay, works. Okay, so you communicate with your clients by copying but, them in mainly. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, I won't unless I need to speak to the client. I'm not going to ring the client up and say, I got a letter in. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I yeah. don't see the point. I'd much yeah. prefer to email it to them. But of course, if a query arises out of it, yeah. or I need to ask the client something, or the client needs to ask me something, pick up the phone and ring. You know, okay. I find that people actually tend to probably email yeah. more, which often I end up picking up the phone because it's yeah. quicker to yeah, deal yeah. if there are a number of queries to deal yeah. with. Um, it works particularly well, our way of doing things for um, clients who are out of jurisdiction. Yeah, and I'd love to move on to that. And before we do, though, Michael, I'd love to... We, we've, you've got... Well, we're you're, almost you're, at you're, contract signing. At contract signing, okay. So, we, we, so what might delay... Well, I suppose, you know, how quick are they, is the vendor responding to our queries? Yeah. Are, are, the, are, the, are the answers satisfactory? Yes. And I, I must tell you and tell your yes. listeners, you need to be aware they're not always satisfactory. Yeah. I have had to tell clients, friends who've been clients, you, you, you can't, in my opinion, buy this property. Yeah. Um, I, I will always remember uh, dealing with two very, very close friends, and, and I had to tell them that. And it was dreadful because mm-hmm. they're looking to you as a solicitor mm-hmm. for a solution, and, mm-hmm. and I genuinely did not have a solution. And my advice for them was to move on. Happily, a year later, they, they purchased. Give me an this. example of that. Give me where you've just told I, them. I, 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 won't, I won't use theirs in case they're listening. A, a, anyone. Well, I'll give you one. A deal breaker. Uh, deal breaker. The boundaries are wrong. Yeah. That back garden is not in the ownership of the vendor. Right. And the vendor says, I have been planting potatoes there, as it might be I'm used to the country, mm-hmm. or I've been growing flowers there for the last 20 years and nobody has said boo. And I can quite clearly see that plot is in the name of John and Mary next door. Right. There may be ways around that, yeah. okay, but it's a problem. Yeah. And it might be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, if that plot of ground was in the ownership of a state body, you cannot adversely possess. You can't take ownership for over 30 years. Right. A private person, you might. So okay. uh, another reason... How long is it for a private person? 12. 12, right. Uh, not always an easy mm. claim to bring mm-hmm. home, though. Uh, and if you're buying from a bank, you need to tell the bank, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bank, please note, the back garden's not in the ownership of the vendor. Mm. We'll get possession of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it'll take another 8 to 10 years to, mm-hmm. to register our names, if ever. There's an extension mm-hmm. built out the back. There is no plan of permission. It's not exempt by its size, mm-hmm. and it is without planning permission. Mm. If it's under seven years, mm-hmm. my advice to a client would be, uh, if you're buying it, you're buying it on the assumption that it may need to be knocked. Right. That's not for everyone. If you're yeah. borrowing, I'm telling you, you're not going to get your loan. Right. You may need to look for something else. Right. Uh, cash buyers have a bit more of an ability to accept risk. Mm-hmm. It's their money. Mm-hmm. They may do as they wish. And mm. this is an important point and will lead into the next point mm. for, your, for your listeners. If you're buying with the, pro- with, the, with the assistance of a mortgage, your solicitor wears two hats. Mm. He or she is making sure you get good marketable title but also for the bank. Mm-hmm. So notwithstanding, you might say, oh, look, I'll take the risk. I don't care the council comes along and tells me to knock that. If mm-hmm. you're borrowing, mm-hmm. your solicitor is contractually obliged to inform the bank. Right. There is this blot on the title. There's this boundary problem or planning problem. Mm-hmm. And will you please, are you still willing to lend the money? Mm-hmm. Because the solicitor gives the now infamous solicitor's undertaking, mm-hmm. which, which many of my colleagues, unfortunately, got wrong over the years. Right. So much, I said many. And that's a written promise from your solicitor to a bank that there is good marketable title, no planning issues, no boundary issues, that you you know have the ability to purchase the price and pay the stamp duty, etc. So where you're borrowing, your hands are tied sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I have had 
two situations with a bank, I'll give you an example, where the planning permission was not complied with fully. Mm-hmm. In one scenario, the failure to comply was not so serious that the bank was still willing to lend the money. In the other scenario, the breach was so serious that the bank said, no, actually, we're not willing to lend the money. Right. So it really depends on the situation. Yeah. Time is often a great healer for, for planning breaches, right. as I say. Yeah. But it's a case-by-case basis. There are right. no hard and fast rules, and that's your solicitor's job. Okay. Identify that risk. But let's assume we, we get to a point where the title's good or we're at least happy with the replies and we've bottomed out the queries. You've done your structural survey. You've maybe done your boundary survey. That report has come back and it's mm-hmm. good, and you want to buy the property. Mm-hmm. You will then attend, if you are in Ireland, your solicitor's office. Oh, yes, and the bank valuer will have been in. To and the, the bank valuer will remember you won't have gotten your loan offer yeah. without the valuer yeah. having gone there first. So you've got your loan pack. Yeah. Your loan pack contains your loan offer, mm-hmm. your mortgage deed, some general conditions, and maybe some other forms, such as a direct debit mandate or assignment of life policies. Your solicitor will say to you, okay, I'm, I'm now happy for you to sign the contracts, and if you're borrowing the mortgage documentation, please come into me or let's meet somewhere, mm-hmm. as the case may be. I'll talk maybe about the outside of the jurisdiction in yeah. a second. But you will come in then and your sister will meet with you, get you to sign the contracts, explain that you're now signing, you're committing contractually to buy, there's no backing out. Mm-hmm. If you're borrowing with a mortgage, you might have a condition in that says you can back out if the bank of its own Accord decides not to give you the money, right. not something within your, you can't refuse yeah. to take the money, yeah. but if the bank for a particular reason decides not to give you the money, such as market change, etc., yeah. uh, you've, you're, you're, you're going ahead with this purchase. Mm-hmm. You sign the contract, you pay up the balance from your 3%, as, as you said earlier on, to now 10%, and that's now non-refundable. So mm-hmm. we're moving from ref- refundable mm-hmm. to non-refundable. So you're contractually bound. At that point, you'll, again either reaffirm or pick a new closing date if the process has taken a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and closing, again, let's, let's talk about closing. At that point, you need to consider a couple of things. When are the vendors going to have the property cleared if it's not already cleared? When are you going to have your money? So how, how long would it take drawing out money from a bank? If you've got funds elsewhere, people often forget they've got a mm-hmm. deposit on a 30-day notice account yeah. or it's in uh, Dubai or mm-hmm. wherever. Um, and so you, how long is it going to take to get that funds in? And some people might say, well, I'm actually going to be on holidays on the, you know, the second week in August or mm-hmm. the third week in September, so I can't close until the fourth. Or, so I, I suppose I'm emphasizing that it's a bit of a moving feast, sure. it's an aspirational target, and it's driven by other things. But at that point, you are picking a date that should be realistic and should be achievable. Mm-hmm. There's no point in saying one week if you... And if, I had a purchasing client that would say, do, absolutely do not put down one week. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not ready in a week's time, you can be charged interest right. on the unpaid purchase price. Mm-hmm. So you should be giving yourself enough leeway. Mm-hmm. I would be recommending to purchasers between two to four weeks. Okay. From the signing of the From contract. From the signing of the contract to, the to completion. Contract. Mm-hmm. A minimum of two, in my opinion. There are contracts out there signed that are probably two years. Now, there's something gone yeah. drastically wrong. I'm emphasizing that there is wide variety and there can be a number of reasons I've had misfortunate situations where vendors may not have cleared a property correctly Mm -hmm. so the attic is full of their belongings Mm. I've had situations where the money has not been drawn down in time and I'll get to that in a minute or you know a deposit has taken too long to transfer or Mm -hmm. 
various other reasons that can delay a closing. So mm. you give yourself enough room, you mm-hmm. talk to the vendor solicitor and you try and agree a, 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 an achievable date. Yeah. Let's move on then. So you sign a contract, your solicitor sends back both of those contracts together with your balance deposit, bringing it up to 10% to the vendor. You're not. While you have committed, you now need the vendor to commit. So the vendor signs the contract and sends vendor solicitor sends back one copy of that contract. Mm-hmm. So each party holds a contract signed by both. both. Mm-hmm. Then the solicitors, uh, plural, uh, vendors and partial solicitor, their job is to agree. The documents need to be net ready for closing. So mm-hmm. they agree the closing documents, draft them up, list them up. And that's a list of all the documents I, as your purchasing solicitor, want from the vendor solicitor on the closing date. Many of those have to be signed by the vendor. What and, kinds of documents are they? Okay, so there will be a deed literally transferring the property from the vendors to the purchaser. Right. It can be called a deed conveyance, yeah. assignment or transfer, mm-hmm. as the case may be. But just know it's the document which pushes legal title from the vendors to the purchaser. Right. There may be a what's called a family law declaration. And that's a declaration by the vendor that the property is or isn't their family home. Yeah. That significance depends on the situation, yeah. but it's another document. Let's, for example, say it's a leasehold title where you have an apartment lease. And there are those rules that govern how you, 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 you own your apartment. You want to know that the vendor hasn't breached those rules. Yeah. So the vendor will de- sign what's called a statutory declaration, no breach of covenants in the lease. Right. Let's imagine there is an extension which may or may not have acquired planning permission, but is over seven years, might be 20 years old. Yeah. In that scenario, if the bank has given the okay and you're okay, you might look from a declaration from the vendor that they've not received any notice from the local authority. So the local authority hasn't come along and served an enforcement notice telling yeah. them to knock it. Right. Very important. Uh, and then you'll have all the original title documents you might have your folio, your architect's opinions, and they're the kind of historical bundle of documents yeah. that the vendor holds. Also, there is post-contract due diligence, yeah. which I won't go into in great no. detail, save that they're kind of non-legal questions in the form of 44 set questions that are put to the vendors and the vendor solicitor. It's called uh, objections and requisitions and title. I think at some point it's post-contract uh, status will change. A lot of them are asked before you sign a contract now. But there could be things like, um, are there any disputes with any neighbours? Right. Uh, really, I'd like to know that before the contract. Yeah. But anyway, um, maybe a, a better example is... Because at this stage, the purchaser can't back out. The purchaser can't back out unless something is revealed that should have been made aware. But a, maybe a better example is, has there been any notice served? So I remember a, a CPO notice, or mm. sorry, a compulsory purchase order, or a planning notice can be served any time from, you know, signing a contract to uh, yes. to closing. Yes. So you ask the question, and if something is revealed, it has to be dealt with. Yeah. And there may be some situation, like a compulsory purchase order is rare, but yeah. may, uh, that will give rise to other queries, like you'll be entitled to the value of the compensation, etc. But know that they're done, the yeah. closing documents are agreed, and the purchaser's other job then is to gather in your money, yeah. either from yourself, from your various sources, or drawing down your money from your bank. So I, I mentioned that at the same time as signing your contract, you complete your loan pack. Mm-hmm. So you'll sign your loan offer, maybe if you haven't done already, direct debit mandates, that's the document that tells the bank to take the money from your account every month. You'll sign a mortgage deed. So that's the document that goes into the land registry mm-hmm. to create the mortgage as a charge, as a burden mm-hmm. on the property. So the world at large knows this property is subject to a mortgage in favour of AIB, etc. Mm-hmm. 
and all that document is sent back to the bank. And they complete that in your presence. In the they presence do indeed, of a solicitor, preferably your solicitor. And that documentation goes to the bank, and the bank checks through it. Mm-hmm. And there is another potential delay, by the way. Mm. I often warn purchasers. Um, I tell every purchaser at some point they'll probably get cross with me, and they'll be cross with the delay, and mm. I won't take it personal, but it's very, very stressful. But a, a, a prime example for me of a kind of silly but common delay your purchase, your solicitor may have completed the form incorrectly, gone into the bank, and you mightn't find that out until the, part, the, part, the solicitor goes to look for the money in the bank and says, oh, you didn't sign, you didn't date that form. I've done it. Yeah. It happens. What you really want to do is find that out before the closing day. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be sitting on your hands waiting for the money to hit your account and then find, oh, I didn't date a document. Yeah. Equally, the purchasers may have forgotten to go into the branch and give their life cover. Another prime example is it's taken so long to get the contract signed that the life policy is now too short and needs to be extended by a couple of months to cover the life of the mortgage. What I say to the purchasers is we need a joint effort. You need to be phoning the bank every day and we'll follow up with the bank every day. And between us, we'll we'll hopefully flush out any issue before the closing date. Certainly what we try and do in here. So that we'll have your money, hopefully. Uh, I always tell purchasers, if you're willing, you know, to pay interest for a a day or two before the appointed closing date, if we're closing on Friday, let's try and get the money into our account on Wednesday. It's two days interest on the scale of things, a potential delay. I think it's it's advisable. You'll remember, we'll need to get into your solicitor there the stamp duty, mm-hmm. the balance, if you're paying with a mortgage, you may have a balance of funds, your registration fees, and your solicitor fees. So you'll what pay everything. Registration, registration fees are a fee paid by you as a purchaser mm-hmm. to the government in the form of the land registry okay. to register your name on the property. Right. It's a set fee. It won't change. Unlike when you're getting a quote from a solicitor, they're professional fees, so the fee actually paid to the solicitor will change and vary. But the, the, the land registry fees, the re- registration fees, they should always be the same. So you will often hear, my God, I paid €4,000 or €5,000 to buy a house, legal mm. fees. Mm. Remember that a portion from 500 to €900, Euros, to €1,000 in fact, of that can be land registry fees. Right. Remember another portion of that is 23% VAT. Yeah. Remember another portion of that is what's called search fees. So before I hand over your money or the bank's money, I get a law searcher, which is a, a, a company, which searches the register, uh, the property register, the courts register, the planning register for either judgments, judgment mortgages, planning enforcements, and the cost of that can be anywhere from, I think, the lowest I've heard of is about €70 Euro to, it could be a couple of hundred, depending on where you're. So if, if you're yeah. buying a property in Mead, it, it costs more to search the Mead planning register, oh. etc. So remember, there are, and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. maybe summarise those costs at the end, and your stamp duty, which is 1%, mm-hmm. um, you may have one or two other small bits of mm-hmm. outlay. Let's okay. say if you're DHL or a courier, or you know, there are other bits and pieces like that. You get all the money in. Yep. Hopefully your solicitor and the vendor solicitor have agreed the documents. Getting excited now. We're nearly, well, we're nearly there. We're nearly at the keys. And remember, and it's often forgotten, I will always tell a purchaser, we're closing on Friday. Go in Friday morning. Take a look. Yes. It is buyer beware. Yeah. You are contracted to buy. Mm. There isn't really a get out. But if you find that 
It's the flooded. vendors haven't cleared their well. A better maybe the vendors haven't cleared their possessions. Yeah, they've left half of the old furniture. Yeah. they're supposed to give you vacant possession. Yeah, it's supposed to be cleared. Very you good certainly point. don't want to find mm. uh, there are tenants in the property. Oh God, no! And has happened. Mm. Uh, people often don't do it. Um, if it were me, and I could get someone, yes. my brother, my friend, my whoever, yeah. to go in or. Even yeah. someone like yourself, Brevin, to just take a look around. Yeah. It's not a structural survey. No. You've agreed to buy, but you want to know vacant possessions yeah. and hand it over. Yeah. Uh, another prime example is if you have contracted, and it's in your contract that you're getting certain items of contents, mm-hmm. such as, let's say, white goods, mm-hmm. washing machines, dishwashers. Mm-hmm. You certainly want to find that they haven't been removed, yeah. as I have seen as well. Just while we're talking about operational things there, Michael, I'd also add in that I think once you get the keys, and I don't want to jump to the end of the story, but once you get the keys, I would always say to people, change the locks, because you've no idea who has copies of the keys totally, to your house. Totally, I mean, the, the agents will have copies, there will be builders, there will mm. be gardeners, etc. Yeah. But we're almost yeah, there, we're you haven't jumped, there. we're nearly we there. We haven't got those keys yet. So we've, we, we've requested our searches for Friday morning. Mm. We've transferred the money on trust to our order. What that means is we've, we've, we've electronically transferred the money from our client account to the vendor's, vendor solicitor's client account on the vendor solicitor's written a confirmation that they will hold that money to mm-hmm. our order. And if we don't get the sale completed, that they'll give it back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will go then to the part, the vendor, your solicitor will, will go to the vendor solicitor's office at an appointed time, say 11 o'clock on a Friday morning, and will say, okay, can you please let me have all the documents we've agreed? They'll pass them across the table to me. I will check to see that they're signed correctly. They are what they're supposed to be. I'll put them to one side. I'll produce my searches and I'll say to the vendor's sister, now would you please just look through those searches and explain any acts. So for example, if there are a number of planning permissions and one of which I don't recognise, mm-hmm. I'll want the vendor's solicitor to say, no, that relates to the property next door or another development, etc. Right. And I'll want to make sure that everything has been dealt with. If right. I will ring you and say, have you been in? Is the property okay? You'll say, Michael, please get me the quiz quick as you can. I'm yeah. sick of all this. Yeah. It's fine. And I'll tell the person, the vendor's solicitor, we're happy to close and you can release the money to your client Ooh, or bank. Exciting. Deal done. That process, and I, I know because you mentioned it to me, Brefi, honestly, it can take from weeks to months. Okay, yeah. You want it to be weeks. I would say to people, you're looking at a minimum of 8 to 12. And in, in, in really, it, you know, I have heard tales, and I've been involved in ones that have happened in 1 to 2. Yeah. You know, they are the rare... And they're the uh, Rolls Royce where everyone the is... The purple squirrel, yeah, to use yeah. a, a phrase my, one of my yeah. co- recruitment colleagues uh, uses. Um, you, you know, I would rather under-promise and over-deliver. I mean, you have to manage your clients. There's no point in me telling you, and I think we are maybe to our detriment at times in terms of uh, getting in new business. Uh, I'd rather play the devil's advocate. Yeah. I mean, there's no point in telling you you'll be done in six weeks when I know... More likely than not, you might be one of the lucky ones, but mm-hmm. more likely than not, you will not be. If I can give it an anecdotal tale of woe, as a really simple, we're at day one with a client of mine at the moment where it took three weeks to get the contracts in. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's already ridiculous. So we're already three weeks. three weeks down the line. You put your book in deposit mm-hmm. three weeks, so forget about the, the four week. Yeah. Aim. I'm yeah. not going to get yeah. your money drawn down, read the title. Yeah. You have a stru- survey done in, in, in a week. And now we have a scenario where the people who are selling need to go somewhere else and they haven't made that arrangement yet. And so I suppose what I'm saying is there are any number of, I mean, title problems 
sure, yeah, they can cause delays, but there are other small, silly, real life reasons why yeah. there might be delays. And I suppose, look, you, we all want I, to clarify something for your listeners. It is not in my interest for it to take any longer. No. We operate, and most convincing property solicitors, by the way, operate on a fixed price basis. Sure. Mm. We will have some caveats that yeah. if there's some big issue which requires extra legal work, you yeah. may have to charge, but you'll be told beforehand. But generally speaking, it's fixed price. I would much rather have my fee in four weeks yeah. or eight than 12 or 24 or whatever. Yeah. So, look, I really hope uh, any of your listeners or purchasers are not the unlucky ones and mm. it goes smoothly. But just to be prepared, yeah. I tell everyone, if you're renting, please, please don't serve notice on your landlord. I'm going to be out in four weeks' time mm. because you will, Murphy's Law, be the one mm. who's got to delay your face of being homeless or having your, where do you store your stuff? Yeah. Don't do it to yourself. Yeah. If Good you point. can at all afford it, please give yourself the comfort, the peace of mind, the stress. Your, your mental health will yeah. benefit from paying Agreed. that extra month's rent. Agreed. Or having a backup plan. Having mum or dad or yeah. a friend or whoever to, yeah. to move to. Um, just to say to you... We're at the end of the process. You've got your keys and you're having a yes. housewarming party. Yes, exactly. Your solicitor is still slaving away. There is still another little bit of work to be done, and I can explain to your solicitor to your listeners because it's often something that comes as a surprise. You then have to get your name registered on that property. Your money's been handed over. Mm-hmm. You've got the deeds. You do own the property. Mm-hmm. You're in there. You're putting all your possessions. But just this has to make sure that your your name is registered. Right. That's another process which people are surprised to hear that can take weeks or years. Right. Why years? If it's the modern system, and it's been in the modern system, and you're, you know, you're mo- registering your name in the modern system, yeah. weeks. Yeah. If it's you are one of the ones who are moving an old system, yeah. the old title to the new land registry, there are a huge amount of these happening at the moment. Dublin right. and Cork were the last two counties to be compulsory to move into the new. It's taking years. Right. Okay. Uh, for various reasons, which I won't go into. Okay. It's just volume and nature. Okay. There's nothing to be worried about. Right. It's just to be aware that your solicitor will still be dealing with it. So don't be surprised if you get an email from your solicitor in six months' time saying, by the way, there's been a query. The landlords here looking for a new map. Mm-hmm. You might think about that. Oh, my yeah. solicitor hasn't registered mm-hmm. my title. And you get immediately panicked. Rightly so. Mm-hmm. Just to be aware. And your solicitor, if at all possible, he or she should explain this to you in the mm-hmm. outset so it doesn't come as a surprise. Um, they'll also register your mortgage if you have one over the property and if you have a mortgage they'll be obliged to send your title documents when your registration is complete back to the back bank back to the bank okay keep on top of your solicitor uh, this is the bit of work that goes on in the background you know keep in touch find out where your deeds are you know I give my clients a, a number that they can track online in the land registry their registration application if you're savvy enough you can keep an eye on it yourself right. check in every couple of months you'll see oh it's registered or oh it's been completed or it's at mapping or if it's queried you might pick up the phone and say oh I see it's queried let me know what the query is um and eventually you'll know when your registration I would always send a copy of the folio then showing by the way, your registration has been completed. I beg your pardon, Brett. Um, your registration has been completed, and I'm now sending your deeds to the bank. Right. And that is the end of the road for your solicitor. Um, I don't know if you have any questions then, arising that, from that. That is so fantastic, Michael. You have been so thorough and clear, and I love the fact that you've read examples for everything. Um, can we just briefly cover, I'm living out of Ireland and I want to buy a property in Ireland can I? is there any Absolutely. reason you can't okay great and I, I'm, I'm happy to say I've acted for 
various mm-hmm. uh, colleagues, uh, friends, um, people who've you know been referred into us, or, or existing clients who've maybe moved to other parts of the world over mm-hmm. the years. I've had clients in Dubai, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, various different places, and it is absolutely possible. And I suppose we'll focus on that and, and, and the difference in the process. As I said at the contract signing page, or signing stage, there are some documents which require original signatures. Yeah. Some of those documents require witness of a, of a, of a solicitor or lawyer. Okay. A contract for sale does not in and of itself. So I've had um, clients in, in, in various countries where I've sent it over and said, listen, have your partner or your work colleague or your accountant witness your signature. That's perfectly mm-hmm. acceptable. Um, so it's the law of the country that you live no, in? It's no, it's our law, law here. Okay, right. But there are other documents here, such as some of the mortgage documentation, right. which requires the witnessing of a practicing solicitor. Okay. In yeah. that scenario, I might advise you to try and find an Irish solicitor practicing. So yeah. in, in a, a client in Hong Kong and a client in Australia where they both managed to locate Irish solicitors. Right. Some jurisdictions, such as the UK, we have a similar uh, situation. I have a client in New York who managed to find an Irish solicitor. So there are ways and means. Yeah. In every country, there will be a designated professional. In Ireland, it's called a notary public yeah. who has the ability mm-hmm. to sign or witness documents and it's recognized worldwide. Right. So there will be a way around it. Okay. There's a cost associated with that for you mm-hmm. in the local. It won't be worked into my cost. We'll simply DHL or email you the relevant document. Yeah. It is possible. Of course, you can fly back. Yeah. If you so wish, these days yeah. it is possible in in AWP European. Uh, you know, I've had clients who might just fly in, sign all the documentation. And actually, the good thing is, it's at the contract signing stage that you can probably get all the documentation signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mightn't actually have to be back to sign anything. So it's a, a common question I'm asked at the end: Was that I need to sign? Yeah. Weirdly, in Irish property law, there's actually often not anything to sign at the end of the process. So yeah. you can head it off early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, absolutely possible. Okay. I, I'll give maybe a couple of, 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 of tips, I suppose, important points. Mm. And I've had... Great. You know, it's very normal for people who have lived here, might be from Ireland, working abroad, yes. moving back. Uh, they would very often, you know, many of your clients, Bethany, are, are, are coming home, mm-hmm. you know, having worked abroad mm-hmm. and, and want to maybe buy a family home. Uh, I do have a, a, a large number of clients who are simply investing in Ireland. We have a number mm. of Chinese investors... Um, and they have never lived in Ireland. They've never bought property in Ireland. They have a number of Israeli investors. And mm. the process for them is totally alien. And they will want to find out if, uh, uh, if they, they can... They can mm-hmm. If they can purchase a property in, mm-hmm. in, in Ireland. So I suppose... These are a couple of things that have, have, have arisen over the years, and, and it depends on your situation. Mm-hmm. If you've been born in Ireland, the chances are you will have a PPS number. Right. You must have a PPS number or tax number to purchase a property in Ireland. Okay, when, even if you're not Irish. Even if you're not Irish. Okay. The reason being, for your solicitor to process that stamp duty return, they must insert an Irish tax number. Don't despair if you're not Irish, you've never lived in Ireland, or indeed you're Irish but you don't have one. Mm-hmm. You can apply to the client identity services of the, of the social welfare department. You can apply online. I'm told it can mm. take a number of months. Or if you're really stuck, if you forget and it's last minute, you can go to Sligo and, and do it in person. Right. As I've had a client who's a Dutch national <laughs> who, who I mentioned it to had just forgotten and, and, and in a pinch because you must pay your stamp duty on closing, okay. so they had to go to Sligo and they got it done in a day. Right. You should 
locate and arrange a surveyor or engineer or architect, as the case may be, very early on, or snagger if you're mm-hmm. buying a new home. Yeah. Because those guys, as you can imagine, with the, with, with the uh, current hot market or boom or whatever you want to call it, they're very, very busy. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy. You mm-hmm. might think, if I need a survey done this week, chances are you're not going to get someone mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. on a week's notice. I suppose if you're purchasing with a mortgage or you know you're going to be, and this is, I'm sure, something you'd be well aware mm. of, Bethany, you should get and meet your mortgage broker early on. Mm. I mean, there's no point in putting a book and deposit down if you haven't been near the bank. Well, they probably won't even let you. They won't even down. let you. A, a good agent won't take a book and deposit. Absolutely. Some of that proof of funds. So. so I think they just need to get out and, and, and locate one and, and get approved early on. If you're a, a new client, and in most cases, you'll have to give your solicitor we have anti-money laundering laws oh, yeah. here. So we have what we call the AML requirements, mm-hmm. or in banking it's called KYC, you know your customer. Okay. But your solicitor will require, in every situation, a photo ID and two proofs of address. Okay. If you're borrowing, and not necessarily if you're borrowing out of jurisdiction, if you're, borrowing with, if you're buying with cash, if you're bringing uh, funds in from outside the jurisdiction, mm-hmm. your solicitor will and should ask you, what is the source of those funds? Don't be offended. Mm-hmm. Your solicitor is obliged by law to mm-hmm. find out where that money is coming from. That's where we are known as gatekeepers mm-hmm. in the in the AML legislation. And we are statutory, we've a legislative requirement to go and ask you where'd you get that money? <laughs> Did it come from a, a house sale? And people are taken aback. Mm. But honestly, because very often and I've had clients who have funds in they might have a savings account in, in a particular jurisdiction for various reasons they might have money coming from a house sale in another jurisdiction mm-hmm. it's all very uh, legitimate mm-hmm. but your solicitor needs to know and may ask you can you send me a copy of bank statements right proof. and the revenue have and will and can audit uh, solicitor purchase files to make sure that there is no tax avoidance or uh, money laundering going on so proof of funds don't wait for a solicitor to ask. Mm-hmm. Organise it all. Have yeah. the story ready. Have the, 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 the documentation to back it up ready. Right. Um, it is our practice in the firm uh, to only accept funds from an Irish bank account. Um, okay. The reason for that is it reduces delay mm-hmm. and it also reduces the level of due diligence which, which, yeah. which we have to get into with you. Yeah. Uh, so if at all possible... Uh, have a have a bank account in Ireland mm-hmm. opened. If you're borrowing money, uh, if with a mortgage, so you're coming back from Australia to buy whatever, you'll need to have one anyway because yeah. you won't get your mortgage without it. If you've been, you know, if you're coming back, chances are you'll have an Irish bank account. And if you're coming to live here, you know, you're, you're going to have to send one. You're going to want one anyway. And it makes the process a lot easier. It gets right. very complicated if you've got funds coming from out of the jurisdiction. In your experience, how long does it take to open a bank account? It's gotten a lot longer. And can you do it from abroad? Do you have to? You have to have a residence in Ireland. So you have to be at the moment. Now we're looking. I, I spoke to some of the, the agents recently, and, and when there's a big press on to try and come up with a, a non-resident bank account, but at the moment you must be resident, have our residence in in, in, in Ireland. You must have in order to open an Irish, open bank, an Irish bank account. Okay. Uh, uh, we were also uh, inquiring with some of the banks, some of the international banks, as to whether their their clients, like for example, Bank of China, might facilitate yeah. a, an Irish account in the Bank of China in yeah. Ireland. Yeah. Um, there are. There are ways mm. of, of, of course, taking mm. money in from out of the jurisdiction. 
but we prefer it to be the exception. And okay. the reason being is, you know, I've seen examples of where company funds are being used from, uh, you know, companies in other jurisdictions, and you've got to go and get a, a letter from the company's lawyer or accountant explaining, and if it's in a different language, yeah. it needs to be translated. And you can imagine yeah. the amount of paperwork okay. multiplies so considerably, if at all possible. Irish bank account, if so at all possible. Right. As I say, there are, there are ways to deal with mm. those situations, but it, it would be much easier, yeah. if at all possible, to have them from an Irish bank account. Okay. okay. It's something that I, I would flag to purchasers from out of the jurisdiction early on, you know, because chances are at some point they, they'll need to anyway. Yeah. So um, they're, they're, they're the most common um, delays. Again, I suppose talking about if you are going to need the services of an Irish lawyer or yeah. a lawyer in your jurisdiction, do that research now. Yeah. Um, so in terms is. of physically signing documents, the ones they're most likely to have to witness are the ones borrowing money, and they can be witnessed from a notary Correct. public or the equivalent of in whatever country they are. But in terms of physically signing a contract to buy this house, it's you are likely to, to DHL them the Correct. documents and they'll send them back. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Listen, that has been a fabulous uh, tour, Michael. You're very welcome. Thanks very much. It's been fantastic. So Thank fluent, you. so concise, so thorough. Really appreciated. Everyone listening is going to have got a whole lot of value from this. So I, I hope so, that. and um, hopefully we've taken some of the mystery out of it, which which I love to do because uh, you know, believe it or not, at the end of the day, your solicitor is on your side and 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 is working hard to try and get get the job done correctly for you. And so I think taking the mystery out of it will will help uh, yeah. everybody's understanding. So that's Michael Crowley in Patrick F. O'Reilly. And your phone number, Michael? Uh, 016793565 and email michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y at P.F. O'Reilly, P for Paul, F for Freddie, O'Reilly, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y dot I-N. <laughs> that's very thorough. I'm very used to giving that out. Yeah, sure. And sorry, last question. We didn't really cover it and I don't want to put you totally on the spot, but give me a spread of fees. For, I'm buying a three-bed semi in Dublin. Give me a gist of it. Sure. And this is before the registration costs, before the searches, before everything. Just yeah. a gist. We, well, I suppose the easiest thing to tell you is we have a minimum fee of €1,750 okay, plus that. Fair. I can tell your listeners, and I because I say it to everyone, you will get cheaper. We, we are not mm. the cheapest. We're not the most expensive. I think we're planted in the middle. Mm. There are people who are operating a low-cost model. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll get it for €1,000 plus VAT plus outlay. So mm. you'll see there there's a couple, yeah. several hundred euro in the difference. And if your budget doesn't allow, it doesn't allow. I suppose it, for me it goes back, Breffney, to my idea that we try and keep the communication open. We try and be available. And we try and keep the client in the loop. And that does take a little bit more time. Yeah. You know, that's, I suppose, where I, I feel we add the value. Great. Okay. okay. Thank you Thank so you much, Thank you for Michael. the opportunity to speak. Thanks for Fantastic. everything. Fantastic.